When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the Book Riot Podcast, a weekly news and talk show about what's new, cool, and worth talking about in the world of books and reading. This is episode 172. We're recording on Thursday, August 25th. I'm Rebecca Shinsky. I'm here with Amanda Nelson, and we're coming to you from bookriot.com. Hello, Amanda. Hello. Thanks for coming to hang with me. No probs. It's funny that we're hanging by technology when we are like 10 miles from each other. (laughs) Separately, but together. (laughs) In the true spirit of internet co-workers. The world's most boring romance novel. Seriously. (laughs) (laughs) We do this so much more often than we actually hang. Yep. Uh, But it's good. I'm glad you're here. We have a bunch of things today. So many things. Yeah. It's like the whole summer has sort of been potpourri news. There haven't been like major news hooks, but there have actually been some developments this week. Uh, Before we get into the first big story of the week, we want to thank our first sponsor. Casper Mattresses is back. If you don't know, Casper is a sleep brand that created one perfect mattress to be sold directly to consumers. The idea was to eliminate commission-driven inflated prices. This is an award-winning sleep surface that they developed in-house. It has a sleek design. It fits into a how-did-they-do-that sized box. And in addition to the mattress, they also offer pillows and breathable sheets. You're going to spend a third of your life sleeping. Some people hate that. You know, if you've listened to all the books, you've heard Liberty talk about how much (laughs) she hates sleeping because it interferes with her reading time. I'm a person who loves to sleep. Uh, I think it's important and valuable. And man, it just feels so good. And if you're going to spend a third of your life on a mattress, it needs to be a good one, a comfortable one that supports you. So Casper's mattress combines springy latex and supportive memory foam. So the sleep surface has the right sink and the right bounce because sometimes you need a little bounce. It has a breathable design that lets you sleep cool to regulate your temperature throughout the night. This is not the bajillion dollars that you're going to spend on a mattress. If you go to the mattress store and you lay your body down on mattresses that a billion other people have been doing that. The Casper mattresses cost $500 for a twin, $750 for a full, $850 for a queen, or $950 for a king. And they are super convenient. You buy this Casper mattress. It's completely risk-free. They deliver it to your home. They will pick it up for a free return. You get a 100-night home trial. So you get to sleep on this mattress for 100 nights before you decide if you're going to commit to it. If you don't love it, they will pick it up. They'll refund you everything. Casper understands the importance of truly sleeping on a mattress before you commit to it. This is just obsessively designed. Again, the mattress combines springy latex and supportive memory foam. If you're reading in bed like a lot of us are, you're spending more than a third of your life on your mattress. (laughs) You want to be comfortable. For all the book's listeners, you get $50 towards any mattress purchase by visiting casper.com slash riot and using the offer code riot at checkout so again go to casper.com slash riot use the offer code riot at checkout to get fifty dollars towards any mattress purchase and we thank casper mattresses for sponsoring 
All right, Amanda, you're going to kick off the show this week with some news about the Hugo Awards. Okie dokie. Um, so this year's Hugos were awarded this week, um, I think on the 20th. And the big winners were N.K. Jemison, who won Best Novel with the fifth season, and Nedia Korafor won for Binti, which is, I think, a novella. Um, big newsworthy, essentially, because N.K. Jemison is the first African-American to win that, the biggest, you know, the, like, the big mm-hmm. award um, of the Hugo. Also, this was another year of the saga of the sad puppies, rabid puppies, Hugo slate situation, um, which I haven't heard as much about it this year as I did uh, yeah, last year. Yeah, it's been much quieter. Uh, which, great, because who cares? Um Mostly. Fox <laughs> Day is too busy writing essays defending marital rape. Or whatever. Uh, I guess, like, if you're unfamiliar with the situation, um, the Hugos have been getting progressively uh, more progressive, I guess, um, as science fiction and literature itself tends to do. And more and more awards were going to books that were by authors of multicultural backgrounds or that were themselves uh, or that were by women or that were about social justice issues. Um, and a bunch of conservative authors and members of the committee behind the Hugo Awards found that to be completely unacceptable and started trying to game the awards. This is like a fan award. So if you join the committee that's behind the Hugos, if you pay, you know, the fee every year, then you can nominate whoever you want to nominate. And so they organize themselves, these like racist, sexist people, um, to put together slates of nominees of white male straight writers of military science fiction. People in support of the status quo. Straight out of like 1975, uh, which if that's what you like to read, fine. It's, that's fine. Um, And then that, so they called themselves the sad puppies for reasons that are beyond comprehension. And then Vox Day, who's a science fiction author who is maybe like, who's an actual, I think, white supremacist and calls N.K. Jemisin a savage. Um, for yeah, uh, and is and is into marital rape and, and yeah, you know, actually I mean, like, did come- like conduct an essay thing this week saying that marital rape can't exist. <laughs> yeah, and like if you're a grown man who calls yourself Vox Day, which of course is just like Latin for the voice of God, like you've got some really deep seated self esteem problems, <laughs> <laughs> um, like so far in there. Anyway. He took it a couple steps further and, and, and organized a bunch of people around himself uh, and called themselves the Rabbit Puppies. And together, these two organizations have been trying to game the Hugos. Um, so obviously, they didn't really succeed this year because two black women won the big awards. Um, and the slates uh, that they did, or the, the awards that did go to slated nominees um, were awards that were going to go to those people anyway. Like Neil Gaiman won for Sandman for a graphic novel, which was... Which is a huge fan favorite. It was going to win anyway. And Andy Weir won for The Martian. He won, like, Best New Writer for The mm-hmm. Martian, which was obviously going to win. And this article that we'll link to in the show notes from The Verge, like, breaks down the numbers and shows that the slated votes, if you took them out, these people would, like, still have won. Because who doesn't love The Martian? Everybody loves The Martian. And most of the other slates got uh, no award. Like, people voted no to not give an award mm-hmm. rather than to give an award to Vox Day, who is a psychopath, I think. Yeah. Um, and so that's the thing. And now the Hugos behind the scenes are passing new rules to try and make it impossible for this sort of thing to happen again, because it's really um, kind of taking away from the dignity and gravitas um, and credibility of the award itself. Um, but hopefully, so next year, you know, hopefully next year we won't have to hear about this Seriously. anymore. <laughs> I mean, not to, 
not to repeat it again, but the sad puppies and the rabid puppies, like these are the worst villain names you could possibly come up with. And they're not even, even if you think that you're a hero, they're not, they're not good hero names either. In addition to just how abhorrible, abhorrible, abhorrent, (laughs) I'm so like flustered by it. I'm making up new words. In addition to how abhorrent the principles that the sad puppies and the rabid puppies work on are it's just so like it's already dehumanizing to the women and the people of color who work just as hard as everyone else does to write science fiction and fantasy and then have to go an extra mile to get noticed in the world of publishing because of all of the structural racism and sexism that you know we've talked about a jillion times on this show when they do finally win it's still you know, that moment is still tainted by having to acknowledge that this was a thing that was that was going on in that year. Like you're N.K. Jemison and you've won the highest award in your field, but there is a guy calling you a savage mm-hmm. uh, while it happens. I'm really happy that the Hugos are going to be making some changes. Um, this, Like if you abuse your democracy, you don't get a democracy anymore. Um, I'm just going to put that gif of like, this is not a cheerocracy <laughs> in here. Um Really happy to see, you know, very deserving authors recognized, and hopefully it'll be easier to see them recognized in the future. They won't have to deal with this BS about sad, rabid puppies. You know, I went through uh, like an old school military sci-fi phase in high school for a boy, (laughs) as many, many of us do. That's a whole other show. I know. I know. I went through a Kurt Vonnegut phase in high school for a I'm so sorry. (laughs) Well, I mean, whatever. I love Kurt Sure, Vonnegut, yeah, but like, but like, let me be 17. We go through these phases like, yes, because of the boys. House five. Woo. Um, let me get my... Never mind. Anyway, I'm not going down that rabbit hole okay. about tattoos. Um, so I went through a military sci-fi phase of like old school from the 70s and, and 80s or whatever, and all written by like white dudes with buzz cuts. And it's great. Like I had, I had a lot of fun reading those books. Um, you know, their adventures and their... Whatever, they're fun. Um, but, like, N.K. Jemison's fifth season, which I've also read, is better. Like, that's just it. It's just better. <laughs> so the, the books that, that these, like, that the sad puppies and the rabid puppies look at through this, this, this filter of nostalgia and, like, wanting science fiction to look the same way it's looked for the past 30 years, which in and of itself is kind of BS because that pretends, like, people of color and women haven't been writing in the genre the whole time, despite the fact that it was invented by a girl, a teenage girl, you know, um, is that I mean that's that's BS in and of itself, but um, like it's just it's just better. Like her world is more richly imagined, her characters are more well developed, her vision uh, of what she like her vision and her themes are ju- they're just more like complicated and thoughtful than these other books. Like get over it. This it's that you're just not a good writer. Like your books are fun and that's fine, but you I don't mean, get an award for just, having for writing a fun book that someone else wrote and has been writing since 1975. Like. Her book's just better. Sorry. Like, maybe redirect all of this energy into writing better books. Right. And then win an award on your own merits. If it's yeah. all about meritocracy and you don't want, you know, social justice or anyone's consciousness about racism and sexism to play a role, then write better books. Yeah. Right. Like, have an imagination. <laughs> you know, Binti the, is a better book. The than- thing that happens anytime that we talk about this kind of thing on the site, at least, is we get comments from people like if we talk about, you know, only like N.K. Jemison is the first black woman to win the Hugos. And this is a travesty. Um, people are like, well, maybe there's always one. There's like at mm. least one person who shows up and is like, maybe white men just write better books. And so mm. like, this is what I have to say to Vox Day. <laughs> maybe yeah. black women just write better books than you do. At this point in science fiction, I feel like that is completely 100 percent accurate. <laughs> 
Yes. Like, okay, I picked up a new site, like this, I'm not going to name what it is because that would just be me, but I picked up this new really big buzzy science fiction novel that just came out that's written by a white guy and I, you know, I love science fiction so I wanted to read it and so I started reading it and like it's just Ender's Game mm-hmm. again. And why? Like, why, why is this still happening? <laughs> like, if I wanted to read Ender's Game, I would just go read Ender's Game. Like, I feel like women uh, and people Amanda, of color are just writing just more imaginative stuff Don't right try now. to logic this. Come I on. <laughs> and this, this book, I mean, it's not bad. It'll probably win awards. It's well-written. It's fine. But, like, you know. It's well-written. It's fine. It'll probably win awards because. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Because white guy. Yeah. yeah. And, like, all the money behind this book, that it's just whatever. That's another Speaking rant. of all the money, <laughs> here's my segue. Langston go. Hughes' home in Harlem might be sold and or destroyed. There are not many homes like it left in Harlem. It's estimated to be worth over $3 million. Um, and he, you know, lived there for much of the 50s and, and the 60s. His typewriter is still on a shelf there. The current owner tried to sell it a few years ago, but listed it for only a million dollars and it still didn't sell. So it's currently sitting empty. The owner doesn't live in it. No one does. There's paint chipping off the front steps. And uh, Langston Hughes, you know, huge writer, huge poet. Um, There is now an awesome grassroots initiative through Indiegogo um, started by a person named Renee Watson to raise $150,000 to rent the home and turn it into a cultural center that honors Langston Hughes. Um, Nothing is sacred, you know, in the world of New York City real estate. If you can get a good deal, you take the good deal, then you gut the house or you tear it down and you, you know, build something else there. But this is a very important landmark. Um, Many of the black writers that I follow have been talking specifically about what Langston Hughes's work has meant to them and what it means to be a writer and to be able to, you know, imagine that you could go to Langston Hughes's home or just to know that it still exists, um, where this landmark writer, you know, lived and did most of his work. So we'll have a link in the show notes if you want to contribute. The piece is on, um, the piece that we're linking to is from CNN, uh, but there will be a link to the Indiegogo campaign. If you want to chip in, uh, to help rent out Langston Hughes' home and turn it into a cultural center that honors his work. Pretty cool. Yeah, and it's it's important that this um, happens fairly soon because the neighborhood is really rapidly gentrifying and the price of the house will probably go way up. Um, they're getting to Whole Foods, so, Ugh. you know. Like, it's almost over. The neighborhood is on its way out. Because <laughs> they're getting... I'm sorry, that was Whole Foods. I just... <laughs> I mean, it's fine. That's how you know it's happening. But that's how you know that Langston Hughes' home is in danger. They got a Whole Foods. (laughs) They paved paradise and put up a Whole Foods parking lot. Um... Okay, so we were talking in this segment about the Hugos, about racism and sexism structurally that exist within science fiction, but this is not that, you know, not the only group in which structural sexism exists. And there was a report out, this is um, from a few, this is from last week, and it just didn't make it into the show when Jeff and I were recording, but I wanted to mention it um, because we're starting to see this more and more. Vita, I think, was really the first organization that. Um, you know, pulled together large amounts of data um, and called attention to representation of women and now of women of color as well in book coverage. But we're starting to see that like they they sort of lit a fire and started something that's been running through the publishing community. There's a group called Sisters in Crime. That's an organization that supports female crime writers. And they released what is called what they're calling a report for change. It's a study about diversity, equity and inclusion in the mystery community. Um, they used U.S. Census data 
data and compared the U.S. Census data to the Sisters in Crime membership data and found that white non-Hispanic people make up 93% of the Sisters in Crime membership compared Mm. to only 62% of the U.S. population. So uh, the Sisters in Crime group is at least disproportionately white. The report surveyed 1,100 of the group's members, and they found that only 3% identify as African-American, 1.5% as Native American, 1.5% as Asian, and 1% as Hispanic or Latino. And those are also disproportionately low. Um, so this is their their data gathering was their first step here. Um, Leslie Budowitz, who is the president of Sisters in Crime, says, we recognize that writers of color, LGBT writers, and writers with disabilities face additional obstacles to getting public and to finding readers that had not been fully explored. And so the goal with the report is to provide data, experience, and recommendations that everyone in the crime fiction community can use to deepen our understanding and expand opportunities. Um, and as I think Jeff and I talked about a few weeks ago, um, the rise of ebooks and self-publishing has been one of the ways that writers of color have gotten their names out because navigating the traditional publishing you know, system where it's disproportionately white all the way down, all the turtles are white, Mm -hmm. um, uh, has allowed them to avoid those gatekeepers. Um, So only 21% of Sisters in Crime members completed the survey um, and reported, or only 21% of the ones who completed the survey reported having self-published their book, but 63% of the writers of color in the organization had self-published. So three times as many writers of color self-publishing within the organization. 50% of the LGBTQ authors that were surveyed reported self-publishing compared to the 10% that reported publishing through one of the big five. Um, So just another, this is like another brick in the wall. Yeah. um, Of seeing, of seeing and describing where systemic racism and sexism have existed. Um, I wish that I could see like the full recommendations. Um, What are these groups that represent writers? doing to talk to publishing about, um, you know, about how this exists and what can be done. I remember when I was doing a um, video for our YouTube channel about Mm -hmm. cozy mysteries, which is a subgenre of crime writing that I super, super love because they always have like really excellently the punny names. Yes. Um, And they're always about like chefs or seamstresses or, you know, women who are in like traditionally kind of feminine jobs, but that if the, like, instead of a seamstress, if you were a designer, it would probably be a man. If instead of a cook in a restaurant, you were a chef, it would be a man. You know, like, it, there, there's, like, complicated gender stuff going mm-hmm. on there. But anyway, I was doing a video about it, and I, I emailed one of my contacts at the publisher of these, of Cozy Mysteries, and asked them to send me any that they had by writers of color, and the email I got back was, we don't have any literally zero if we sign any i will let you know and i was like seriously because this is it was probably if i if i said the name you would recognize you know most of you the especially if you read um cozy mysteries you'd recognize the publisher um none like none (laughs) and it took them like a week to get back to me because i'm sure that they were combing look like looking or like what's gonna happen if we say zero yeah like not 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 any of, of any ethnic background that isn't white. I just found that so surprising because I don't get a lot of um, books in the mail. A lot of galleys were publi- from publishers by authors of color, but usually if I directly ask them, they'll send me something. Um, no, not mm-hmm. any. Just zero. Yeah, the, was it, I think last fall, this time last year, we were really starting to look at 
how we incorporate writers of color into Book Riot's coverage. And so you and I and Kelly Jensen and Swapna kept a spreadsheet of all the books that we got in the mail for like three or four months. Mm -hmm. And it was my number was like 6% of the books that I just got in the mail that were like that were not books that I asked a publisher to send me that was just like, they have me on their mailing list. These are the books that they're sending out to the director of Book Riot. Um, 6% were not by white people. Mm -hmm. I think uh, Swepnet and I, mine was about 10 and I think hers was about 10, but that's because, which is funny that like the two brown editors are the ones who got the brown books, but it's because Swepna has developed relationships with publicists so that they know that that's Mm -hmm. what she wants. And same thing with me. Like I've got the publicists who go out of their way to send me books by authors of color are publicists of color or like editors of of color who, who uh, are trying to get the word out about their diverse authors so the the story about the cozy mysteries makes me wonder like how many other subgenres are there that have that same problem happening that if they look that if an imprint had to go looking they would discover we actually don't have anybody who's like who's a person of color who we've published in this subgenre because there's just all these assumptions built into it like what only white people want to read cozy mysteries mm-hmm. about like who stole the yarn from the knitting box yes, which i love <laughs> sure uh, i saw a conversation on twitter yesterday based around the olympics about the whiteness of sports romances oh, which i thought was really interesting yeah especially since like there's so much going on there because people of color, especially black people in this country, are encouraged to, you know, do the sports thing instead of like doing the creative, artistic, intellectual thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and and because of that, so many of our sports teams are heavily not white. But if you go and read any sports romance, they're almost entirely white. Um, and there was a, like Courtney Milan and Alicia Rye were having a really interesting conversation about that um, that developed that like devolved into a bunch of white sports romance writers getting really defensive about it. Like, well, tennis is all white. It's super really not, though. Have you heard of the Williams sisters? Like, what is wrong with you? Um, But whatever. So, yeah, there are these really interesting pockets of subgenres that are just entirely Caucasian for no reason. And we've we've had some of the writers at Book Riot have written pieces about how difficult it can be, um, you know, basically outside of like literary fiction and even inside literary fiction to find books by authors of color that aren't about the struggle. You know, mm-hmm. like publishing is so white that and and so old in many corners that it's being run by people who like can't imagine that a black writer would have something other than slavery or racism to write about. Yep. Um, like maybe they just want to write a science fiction. Maybe they want to write a cozy mystery um, or an Olympics romance or whatever. Um, like, you know that those are there are black writers sitting at their desks writing those stories mm-hmm. right now. Um, but publishing doesn't acquire them and doesn't publish them because of these built in assumptions that I just am so mad about the books I'm not getting to read. <laughs> Yeah. You know, which Um, is one of the reasons why like a knee jerk snobbery about self-published books has carries with it a a tinge of racism, even if it's, you know, not intended because so many writers of color are having to go that route because of all of this systemic racism that if you just like automatically will not read a book because it's self-published, you are probably reading a lot more white people than you think you are, Um, especially in romance. A lot of the romance that I read is Mm self-published because of that, because I sometimes, especially if you like, if you like Regencies or like historical romances and you've read everything Beverly Jenkins and Courtney Milan have ever written, you're probably going to have to go dig in and do some self-published stuff. Mm -hmm. 
Um, there's a lot of good stuff out there. Yeah, the folks can listen to you on the Get Booked podcast. You can. Hear and I will, all the time. I will give it to you. Oh, and in this report, which, again, will be in the show notes, um, there's an appendix. Mm. I think it's Appendix A. That's like a list of the members of Sisters of Crime, or Sisters in Crime, who are diverse, like who oh, are nice. disabled, who are LGBTQ, who are people of color. Um, they're all women. So if you want a resource, you can go into the show notes and get the report. And buy their the appendix. books. Buy their books. Buy the books. And they are not just all at a clock. Right. So, which is nice. She I can only her. write so fast. I know. She can only be on so many lists <laughs> of mystery novel lists. Um, before we roll on, we have another sponsor this week. It is Spontaneous by Erin Starmer. This is a young adult novel. Um, they sponsored the All the Books podcast last week, and reading these notes just fills me with delight. This is a book about growing up. And blowing up. hey Literally. Uh, it's about a girl named Mara Carlisle. She is going into her senior year of high school, and it's going, like, as normally as it can be expected until wabam. It says wabam in my <laughs> notes. Uh, her fellow senior, Caitlin Ogden, explodes during third period pre-calc. Caitlin is the first, but she won't be the last teenager to blow up without warning or explanation. The seniors continue to pop like balloons, but smart and hilarious Mara narrates the end of their world as she knows it. Within an explosive year, huh, punctuated by romance, <laughs> quarantine, lifelong friendship, and the hope of making it to graduation lies a funny, super honest, and truly moving story of being a teenager and the heartache of saying goodbye. This is a first in tropes for me. <laughs> the spontaneous combustion thing? Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah. Have you heard of another book about teenagers spontaneously combusting? Teenagers, no. But there is, oh man, I don't remember which one it is, but there's a Dickens novel. Is it Bleak House? Uh, where a villain spontaneously combusts. Uh. And I think that was like the first instance of it. Um, the only other one I can think of is the Joe Hill novel. Oh, yeah, but, yeah, The Fireman. Yeah, but that's not teenagers. Yeah, and that's it's, like they get a spore. Though. Yeah. Yeah, which is great. The Fireman is great, um, but... But not, not Just why. like they know why. It's explained. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the cover of this book is great. Everything is cool. I like cannot wait to read this. Um, it's out from Penguin Teen now. Again, the book is called Spontaneous. It's by Aaron Starmer, S-T-A-R-M-E-R. You can buy it wherever books are sold or we'll have a link to it in the show notes as well. You can laugh, cry, and cringe at how good it is. <laughs> All right. Speaking of teenagers, my segue game is strong this week. You're so good at this. You and I are going to pack our bags. We're going to move to Italy and then we're going to pretend to be 17. (laughs) And this is not just our buddy movie. (laughs) (laughs) Can you imagine? (laughs) Those are wrinkles. What are you talking about? This gray hair is totally that platinum silver dye thing the kids are doing today. Is that what the kids are doing? Um, In a move designed to remind young people that culture can enrich their life and bring people together, Italian citizens are getting a 500-pound culture bonus on their 18th birthday. So you turn 18 and the Italian government gives you 500 pounds. Uh, Euros, I think. uh, Yeah, sorry, euros. You are correct. Um, The initiative launches on September 15th, and the bonus can be spent on books, concert tickets, theater tickets, cinema tickets, museum visits, and trips to national parks. Hey. What How? How? I... I have questions. Like, is it... Is it, like, special vouchers that... you, You would think it would have to be... Like, and if, like, it's a trip to a national park, is it just a ticket? Or, like, if I'm buying a tent, 
oh, to go sleep in a national park? You, can I right. use my belt? I have questions. I have questions, so, Italy. Yeah, you. <laughs> if any of you listening to this are Italian and you have more details, please tell us. Podcast yeah. at bookriot.com. Um, 575,000 teenagers are expected to benefit from the plan, and it's going to cost the Italian government 290 million euros. Yeah. Uh, but the parliamentary undersecretary, Tommaso Nanicini, believes yes. that it is money well spent. I co-sign this belief. Yeah. Um, the initiative sends a clear message to youngsters, reminding them that they belong to a community which welcomes them once they come of age. And it reminds them also of how important cultural consumption is. This is so great. Oh, so it is. I'm very Italian, I feel like. When you're 18 years old, this is buried at the bottom. When you turn 18, you are able to claim the funding through an app that downloads Uh. vouchers to your phone that can be used online um, and at physical stores. So it doesn't say like if you could use it at the Italian version of REI to buy a tent for your national park trip but i guess you know that's how it works that you get a voucher and when you go to like the bookstore the bookstores will accept your voucher they're also planning a similar bonus for next year that will give teachers 500 euros to spend on their professional development oh good look at italy do it Italy. this feels like such an italian <laughs> thing you know like here's money go to a museum <laughs> right we are the seat of the renaissance go look at a painting <laughs> right this is good for you <laughs> You know, I think it's it's so smart. Like 18-year-olds, you know, probably don't have much money of their own. Mm-hmm. If they're going off to university, they're doing all the things that kids that age do. And reading and culture might not be the highest priorities for them. So the government giving them money, like, you know, it, you can't spend it on anything else. Um, go engage with something that's going to affect how you see and interact with the world. I think it's so great. I would love to see a breakdown after the fact of like, this 290 million euros, what percentage went to books? What percentage mm-hmm. got spent at national parks? How many movie tickets did it fund? What percentage was it of kids just going to see like Marvel comic book movies over and over again? <laughs> but you know what? That's fine, too. That's fine. Do what you want. I just want to know. I'm curious. Yeah. So cool. It's hard to imagine this happening in the U.S., but I wish that it could. Yeah. I Well, we've got more teenagers i assume mm-hmm. so it would be you know more expensive being a bit larger than italy yes. i imagine that we would have more um, maybe you could like apply for although the national parks thing could be like if michelle obama were going to stick around for a while she could mm-hmm. roll that into her thing about like getting kids outside which would be cool michelle obama and terry tempest williams start a youth in national parks initiative a plus would buy <laughs> I will quit this job and go work for them so fast. I support this message. I will back that Kickstarter. <laughs> I love you, but I like my hiking boots more. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta go by. I actually don't like going outside, and national parks are not my thing. But the two of them together, I feel like I would. There would be no point on continuing to live, right? Like that's you the could zenith. like work in one of the indoor spaces in the national park. That would be fine. I just don't ever want to like see a bug. <laughs> Or get dirt on on me anywhere. Living in the swamp that is Virginia is a totally good decision for you. I love it here. Thank you. I just stay inside a lot. Um, uh, We're recording this show on the day that is the centennial of the national parks. We are. By the way, 100 years ago today, the National Park Service was born. 
Happy birthday. Happy birthday. Please go read Terry Tempest Williams' The Hour of Land, which is all about the national parks, and I love it. <laughs> Where? What are we even doing right now? Um, do you want to talk about Donald Trump? God, that's such a loaded question. <laughs> So we've got two Trump-related pieces of business Ugh. here. Let's start with the good. Yeah, okay. Would you like to start with the good? Sure. Okay. okay. Do you want to do it? Do There's a study that's going to be published in a special 2016 election issue of PS, which is Political Science and Politics. That's a journal um, that finds that reading Harry Potter books leads Americans to take a lower opinion of Donald Trump. Um, in fact, the more books in the series that the participants read, the greater the effect. The researchers controlled for party identification, gender, education level, age, evangelical self-identification, and social dominance orientation, uh, which is a thing that's worth reading about if you are into sociology and social psychology at all, um, which are all factors that have been known to predict Americans' attitudes toward different political figures. And the Harry Potter effect remained. That's the study, so interesting. I like that they identified for party identification and it's yeah. still... Mm -hmm. uh, hmm. That you can be, uh, I guess, you know, you can be a Republican or a Democrat. It doesn't matter. The Harry Potter effect will still happen for how you think about Donald Trump. Mm. Um, the study is called Harry Potter and the Deathly Donald. <laughs> well done. <laughs> it's conducted by Professor Diana Mutz. She is the uh, professor of political science and communication uh, at the University of Pennsylvania. And this is not the first time that this uh, has been known to happen with a book. In the 19th century, Uncle Tom's Cabin was widely credited with shifting public opinion against slavery. Um, but so far, there's been very little actual data and evidence that fictional stories can influence political opinion. Um, Harry Potter's popularity is one of the things that allows that to happen with more than 450 million copies out worldwide that, you know, has made the study possible. And Professor Mutz's theory here is that because Trump's political views are widely viewed as opposed to the values espoused in the Harry Potter series, exposure to the Potter series might play a role in influencing how Americans respond to Donald Trump. Basically, the more you like Harry Potter, the less you will like Donald Trump. So interesting. <laughs> and you know, she was, th this isn't the first study that this um, I guess she's a sociologist, I don't know, has done about Harry Potter and um, politics. There was one that came out a couple of years ago, I don't know if you remember, about how if you, the more that you are into Harry Potter, the more sympathetic your views are towards Muslims and mm -hmm. LGBTQ people. Um, like you have more, and that's where that whole, if you read Harry Potter, you're more empathetic thing came from, was that study that she yeah. did. So she did that like two years ago, and then now she changed it this year. She changed the survey this year to include these questions about Trump, um, which makes sense. <laughs> yeah, it's so like there's a couple bullet points of comparison that they draw here. Like Harry and the crew advocate for oppressed house elves and they, mm -hmm. abhor, they oppose Voldemort's quest for blood purity among wizards. And Harry himself is mix of mixed ancestry. Um, Trump calls for a moratorium on Muslim immigration and makes offensive comments about outgroups of all kinds, um, including women, Mexicans, Asians, and those with disabilities. Um, the Harry Potter series provokes nonviolent means of conflict resolution. Donald Trump has spoken widely about his fondness for torture. Mm -hmm. uh, Harry Potter protagonists work against authoritarian characters in the book, and Trump portrays himself as one. Uh, really interesting. I guess this is some support for those parents. Like I was a bookseller in the Harry Potter days, and there were parents who did not want their kids to read Harry Potter because of 
like the ideas that they would get in their heads. And Mm -hmm. some of it had to do with just the like living in Virginia and evangelical communities believing that this was witch, you know, witchcraft and of the devil. Uh, (laughs) But like you're going to get some ideas from Harry Potter, apparently. (laughs) Yeah, I have a feeling and this is based on, uh, you know, anecdote. It's people that I know from the evangelical community. But the 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 um the people who support Donald Trump in the evangelical community and the people who won't let their kids read Harry Potter, the Venn diagram is a circle. Mm. Uh, so, yeah, <laughs> this doesn't surprise me at all. Um, it's interesting that they picked Harry Potter, though. And she, I mean, it says in this study that because of how wide widely sold and read mm-hmm. the, the the series is it made for the the best like representative literary selection for the study but i was trying to think of like other books you could use there aren't really series though like no. i feel like if you i don't know if you if you've read the giver are you more or less oh, likely to be right. a donald trump you know like if you've read the hunger games is mm-hmm. the does the effect stand 1984 was, yeah like where does this happen is it is it a thing where like if you read a lot you're probably less likely to, um, to support Donald Trump or is if it you like or don't like Ayn Rand as an oh, adult? Good lord. <laughs> Speaking of phases, we all went through as teenagers, <laughs> and I have the tattoo to prove it. Woo! Um, so, yeah, like is it they controlled for all of these social factors, but like can you control for I also read other things? Because <laughs> right. I'm, I'm just curious. I want to. Um, I want to know. Um, yeah, yeah, I don't know what else. Well, there's, I mean, there's nothing else that's as widely distributed as Harry Potter that we yeah. could, that we could get to. That the would Bible, like I guess. This. Oh, but like no, no fiction, no like work of, no novel mm-hmm. is as widely. Fifty Shades of Grey. <laughs> I don't, I don't <laughs> care about the answers to that. Though. Um, well, authoritarian figure. <laughs> hey, hey, oh. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> Bio- let's let's move on. Okay. The, next, the other Donald Trump story was one that you dropped into the show notes. Oh, I just thought this was funny. So apparently the Trump campaign has used, it, like, he's used campaign funds to buy $55,000 worth of his own book from Barnes & Noble, um, which is illegal a lot. And so they were... His campaign said that they were doing it um, to buy copies, like to give out to people who were attending the convention, which they did. They were in the mm-hmm. like the convention packets. Um, but he, he used his since he bought it from a retailer instead of making a bulk order through the um, publisher, he got royalties on it. So he used his campaign funds to pay himself mm-hmm. royalties, and it also falsely boosted his sales numbers. So. It landed his. It landed Trump's book on the bestseller list, despite the fact that it would not have been there had he not spent almost sixty grand on himself. Yeah, bulk buying your own book to try to get onto the bestseller list is not an unheard of. Yeah, decision but when you're using make... the, but the FEC, does not look right. kindly. But when you're a presidential candidate, it's illegal. Mm-hmm. Who'd have thunk it? <laughs> I just thought it was interesting because I had never like considered. I mean, he's been in the news a couple of times recently for using his campaign funds to, like, up up his rent in his mm-hmm. own whatever, to, like, line his own pockets, which is fine. I mean, it's not fine, but, like, who cares? Uh, but, like, this is... What? Like, he's so... He had to get himself on the bestseller list, I guess. And I can't decide if, like, his campaign just didn't realize that it was illegal and thought somebody was just like, whatever, just go to Barnes & Noble and get them, you know, and, like, didn't look into it. Yeah. Or if they knew and didn't care. Like, there's something very Slytherin-ish about it. <laughs> 
<laughs> I have questions. Either way, not cool. Yeah, that's my Donald Trump story. <laughs> Lies. Sad. <laughs> I'm just going to speak in Donald Trump. Boo, hiss. Like, tweets for the rest of this. Sad episode. exclamation point. All the words I know have less than two syllables. <laughs> Dang it, I said the word syllable. That disqualified oh, myself. Amanda. Sorry. It's okay. <laughs> um, I guess we'll go from Donald Trump to, like, weird corner. Yay! <laughs> All of and these weird things are stuff that I added to the agenda. <laughs> I wasn't going to say that. <laughs> I like the weird news. Which one do you want to start with? Oh, the road, the road doll, man. That's just... <laughs> what? Okay, so... <laughs> just the headline alone of this, I you're going to have to say it out loud. Okay, okay, so the headline... <laughs> I'm just going to say the headline. Do you love Roald Dahl enough to drink beer made from the yeast of his writing chair? No. <laughs> no. Is the I don't love anyone enough. No. And I dropped this in the Slack, the contributor Slack, like, guys, here's a question for you to consider. And the reactions were either gross, 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 no, no, no. Or if Book Riot would pay me <laughs> to go drink that beer, I would do that and write about it. So we have like knee-jerk, nasty, nasty reactions. And then people who were kind of like, well, I would do it for science. Okay, so it's yeast that was swabbed from Doll's writing chair. Mm -hmm. I have just watched way too many, like, 2020 episodes about what happened, like, what they find when they swab surfaces of things. Yeah, no. (laughs) Like your phone? Ew. Don't ever. No. So it's a brewery in London. That okay. is doing this. And they've made, they've made, the ale is going to be called Mr. Twit's Odious Ale. <laughs> so at least they know that it's gross because they call it odious. And it's going to be on the menu for a live theater production of Dinner at the Twits, okay, which brings okay. to life two overall dolls characters, Mr. and Mrs. Twit. So it's like, you know, it's like a tongue in cheek sort yeah. of. And in the story, <laughs> Mrs. Twit feeds Mr. Twit worm spaghetti. So, like, the gross factor is already present. The gross factor is there. And, like, I can't, man, I just can't figure out where I land here. Because <laughs> yeast is on, is in sure. and on everything. Sure. Like, if you put out, if you put some water in some flour and leave it out on a windowsill for 24 hours, it'll bubble. And there you've got your own sourdough starter. Like, that's how you start bread. And great. But just, like, the, specific, the specificity <laughs> right. of, of chair yeast is, like, you couldn't have done... His typewriter or Right. It's like butt yeast. Yes. Yes. Thank you. I wasn't gonna I say about the words butt really yeast. Really sorry that I just said that. <laughs> and you just went there. It just oh. It's like they went for the grossest thing they could think of to turn Which, into a, a beer. I mean it is kind of fitting, but also just no. Yeah. Just no. I do. I hope they also offer like normal beer. Or wine or something. I hope that's not, like, the only thing you get to drink. <laughs> it's like, how dinner. badly do you need a drink tonight? Are you willing to drink the odious ale? <laughs> Made out of the chair yeast. No. I mean, I know, like, rationally, I know that there's nothing physically grosser. Like, there's nothing in this yeast from Roald Dahl's chair that's actually going to be bad for 
people. Yeah. But it's just... The n- and, you know, like, historically speaking, beer is often the more sterile. Right. Okay. That's true. Selection, because water sources mm-hmm. are often contaminated and whatever. But, like, it's 2016, and <laughs> why didn't you use the typewriter, I guys? <laughs> that if you had asked me to just sit down and generate 100 weird headlines for possible news stories related to the world of books, I would never have ever gotten to someone swabbed the chair that Roald Dahl sat in and took yeast from it and is making beer. And how did they... I just... How... how, Like, how do you isolate a yeast strain from a swab? And, like, how do you make that... I have so many questions. Now I want to know how they did it. Now now I'm, like, I've gotten beyond the gross. Are you going to, like, put on your Harriet the Spy hat (laughs) and go conduct an investigation? Please say yes. I'm going to find my Sherlock Holmes hat because I have one. And I'm going to put it on. And I'm gonna I'm gonna find out how do you isolate a cha- like a yeast strain from a chair, and like I, I'm, is it from the arm of the chair? Is it from? I have so many questions. I want to know like specifically if it's from the arm of the chair. It's I'm a little so less much better gross. with it. <laughs> the that's arm fine. of the chair is fine. But <laughs> this that's is all. weird. <laughs> Tell us, listeners, would you drink the rolled doll chair beer? Would you drink the chair beer? <laughs> it feels like a weird like if you lose this bet. You have to drink the chair beer. Um, Before we go to our last weird story of the week, we have our final sponsor, Audible is back. We know that Audible has the perfect solution for all of us who like to consume books anytime that we can. You can put a book in your ears while you're doing many other things, while you're at the gym, while you're commuting, while you're driving to carpool, while you are cooking or cleaning. If you are, I don't know, a person who's inclined to clean, I I don't know what that's like personally. Hmm. Uh, The Audible app is free. It works on iPhones, iPad, Android, and Windows phones. You can also listen to your Audible stuff on over 500 other MP3 players. Unlike a streaming or rental service with Audible, you own your books. You can access them at any time, anywhere, right from your smartphone, even after if you ever decide to cancel your Audible membership, the books will still be yours. And they don't just have audiobooks. They now have sort of podcast type shows, other programming. There's comedy specials. There's so many things that you can consume and listen to from Audible. And if you ever try one and find that you don't like it, you can use Audible's Great Listen Guarantee. If you decide you don't like the book, no worries. You just exchange it for any other title, anytime, no questions asked. Um, I literally just did this this morning. (laughs) I had gotten an hour into an audiobook that I just started and I was like, you know, I don't think so. Clicked the button. The credit reappeared in my account. I downloaded a different book. I'm going to start it this afternoon. It's just so easy. Uh, And if you have been listening to this show or paying attention to books at all lately, you know that Oprah just made her new book club pick, The Underground Railroad by Colson Whitehead. Uh, It's Whitehead's sixth novel. It tells the story of Cora, who is a teenage slave in Georgia, and her desperate bid for freedom from a cotton plantation in about 1850. Um, A boy named Caesar arrives on the plantation and tells her about the Underground Railroad and invites her to run away with him. Uh, And in Whitehead's imagination, of it. The railroad is not a metaphor. There is a literal railroad that operates uh, on secret tracks and tunnels that run uh, under the South and across American soil to bring people to freedom in the North. Uh, As you complete your journey through the Underground Railroad, you can engage online at the Oprah Book Club Hub. That's oprah.com slash book club. Of course, the Underground Railroad is available from Audible. Um, I've been hearing great things about the audiobook version. So if you've been wanting to get on 
bored. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Wow. Uh, I didn't do that on purpose. We need Jeff. Uh, <laughs> if you've been wanting to get on board with the latest Oprah pick, you can listen to the Underground Railroad on Audible. And just for our listeners, audible.com is offering a free 30-day trial membership. So you go to audible.com slash bookriot today to start your free trial. You can listen to the Underground Railroad or anything else. It shows your support for Book Riot and it gets you a 30-day trial. Again, that's audible.com slash Book Riot. Have you been listening to anything good? I'm listening to The Soul of an Octopus. Oh. Yes. The subtitle is uh, A Surprising Exploration into the Wonder of Consciousness. Um, And it's like a kind of memoir, nature, philosophy thing. It's very hard to describe. Um, From a nature writer who, like, gets super obsessed with octopuses, which, not octopi. (laughs) <laughs> octopi is incorrect because it's not a Latin word. It's a Greek word. So it's octopuses is the plural. And this is a thing that I learned. Uh, I also learned that like most of the neurons uh, that an octopus has is not in their brains, it's in their arms. The more no. you know. Um, so yeah, it gets like she goes to visit some octopuses in an aquarium and uses that as like a jumping off point to, to wonder about the differences between the consciousness of human beings and the consciousness of mammals and the consciousness of invertebrates who have no brains so yeah it's fascinating and i'm really enjoying it and that's my story that's great Mm -hmm. i finished gloria steinem's my life on the road which i talked about on the show last week and it was great also it's not the one that i returned (laughs) Uh, so if you like feminism and travel my life on the road is the one for you if you want to try those if you want to try the underground railroad if you want some other recommendations we're happy to talk to you about that as well go to audible.com slash book riot to start today and thanks again to audible okay truman capote all right you ready this is great i kind of love this i figured that you would (laughs) (laughs) so truman capote's ashes are up for auction like ashes of his dead body ashes. They were part of the estate of Joanne Carson, who is who was the wife of Johnny Carson, the host of The Tonight Show. Um, she died last year. They were The Carsons were friends of Capote. Um, and when he died uh, in the 80s, I think? Yeah. Mm-hmm, uh, yeah. He died, like, in their house. Oh, um, I didn't know that. Yeah, he died at their Bel Air mansion. And so she had his ashes, and after her death, the executors, like, couldn't figure out what to do with them? Like, what do you do with the ashes of a beloved literary icon who apparently what you do is you put them up for sale. So they're going uh, up on the auction block in LA. The starting price is $2,000. It's estimated to go, they're estimated to sell between four and 6,000, which I thought was not very much. That's not much. Um, Yeah. Um, The closest comparison the auctioneer could think of was the sale of a kidney stone that belonged to William Shatner, (laughs) which was sold for $75,000. To just hear for charity. The world is filled with wonders, Amanda. Yeah, I know. Um, the the estate, the person behind the estate said that he actually thinks that it, there's already been like interest expressed in the ashes, obviously, and they're predicting that it, they're going to get a lot more um, than six thousand dollars from it. Please let there be a bidding war for I, this, at least. Yes, and like there's, you know, if it were anybody except Truman Capote, I would find this a little creepy and, and like kind of tacky. But he was such an attention, like. He did it on purpose, you know? He, he so purposefully courted scandal and attention and, like, just, like, wanted to make a scene because he, it entertained him. And I feel like he would kind of, like, really love this and think that it was hilarious. I'm like, yes, sell my ashes. That's awesome. Yeah, I was thinking about it, and it does seem like 
the urn filled with Truman Capote's ashes should be like in the Smithsonian or something. Yeah. You know, like it should. My first thought was like, these should go in a museum. Like surely someone with some museum somewhere has a Truman Capote exhibit that like could become the Truman Capote shrine that yeah. people, you know, come visit the way that they go visit graves of famous writers at cemeteries in Britain. Um, but I, the more that I thought about it, the more I'm totally in the boat with you of like, he would love this. And technology is so strange and interesting now that we can do all kinds of things with ashes. Like there are companies that will take cremains and turn them, like spin them into jewelry or like make you a little, basically like a locket or a, mm. like a teardrop shaped thing that's filled with the ashes of your loved one or your pet or whomever. Um, and so I kind of am hope like I want someone to get Truman Capote's ashes and then do something not disrespectful, but just like truly weird and wonderful in celebration. <laughs> that would be amazing. Yes. <laughs> like turn them. Yeah. Turn him into a necklace. Wear, wear him as earrings and then go to like a lavish Hollywood party. Because that would right. be the most Truman Capote thing that you could Have, possibly like, do. Three too many martinis while wearing your Truman Capote ash earrings. <laughs> and then donate them to Tiffany's where, and just like demand that they keep them in the display window for the rest of time. <laughs> yes. This is our plan. <laughs> Why have we not been hired for <laughs> to like strategize this plan? If I had um, just saved up my Starbucks money for the past couple of years, I could probably win this auction. <laughs> if you've got a literary estate that you would like us to plan, <laughs> we're your ladies. <laughs> We're, we're ready for the job. That's our show. I don't know where else we could possibly go <laughs> from there. So thank you to our sponsors, Casper Mattresses. Go to casper.com slash riot and use the offer code riot at checkout to get $50 towards any mattress purchase. Spontaneous by Aaron Starmer. Again, that is available wherever books are sold. We'll have a link in the show notes. And also Audible. Go to audible.com slash book riot to start your free 30-day trial today. If you want to come hang out with us and the rest of the Book Riot crew at Book Riot Live. That's November 12th and 13th in New York City. Your time to buy a VIP ticket is running out and get all the perks that go with that. That ends on August 31st. So go to bookriotlive.com to get your tickets and use the offer code wheelhouse, all one word, uh, to get your $20 off. If you have thoughts or questions or you want to tell us what you would do with Truman Capote's ashes and whether or not you would drink the Roll Doll chair beer, you can do that at podcast at bookriot.com. Find the show notes for this and all of our other podcasts at bookriot.com slash listen. And you can talk to us on Twitter. I'm Rebecca Shinsky, S-C-H-I-N-S-K-Y. Amanda is I'm Amanda Nelson. Book Riot is Book Riot, but you already knew that. <laughs> I think that's it. All right. Thanks for hanging with me, Amanda. I'll talk to you soon. Bye.